Well, it's a joy to have you here. I'm glad you could be here today. And well, we have an empty section right up front. All of you on the back two rows. Oh. I would do that, but if we made them stand up, they'd probably just head out. So, uh, But take your Bibles, please, and turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I have an amazing title for this message today. Jesus Christ is... Dot, dot, dot. Uh, we're going to look at what the Bible says that he is from this passage of Scripture. As we look in uh, Colossians chapter 1... Uh, we're going to start this morning in verse number 15, and we're going to go through several verses there. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? He is the image of God. What does that mean? Image is the visual representation. He is the one who shows us exactly who God is. When Jesus was talking with his, with his disciples and they said, Lord, show us the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because seeing Jesus is seeing, as it says elsewhere in chapter 2 here, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So when it says he's the image of God, then it's, it's not like he's a lesser thing. You know... Um, Oh, shoot, I can't remember who it was. Oh, Picasso. How many of you like Picasso's paintings? I, I love the painting of Mrs. Picasso. <laughs> I'm glad my wife looks better than that. Uh, but when you look at the paintings, it's all jumbled up. In a mess. And so one man was talking to Picasso, and uh, he said, Listen, Picasso, you paint things so strangely. Why don't you make it look like the painting of your wife. Why doesn't it look like your wife really looks? And Picasso said, what do you mean? And the man pulled out a picture of his wife. And he said, like this, this is what my wife really looks like. And Picasso took it in his hand and he said, she's rather small, isn't she? And pretty flat. See, a photograph is just an image. You can look at a photograph, and then you can see a person, and it's an image. When the Bible says Jesus is the image of God, he's not a lesser reflection. He's not the photograph. He is the real thing. He and the Father are one, he said. They are the same. They have the same values, the same goals. God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, all equally God, functioning in different roles as they interact with their creation. But God is God. That's why in the beginning God said, let us make man in our image. Not that there's multiple gods, one God in three persons. And Jesus is the image of God, the visible one of God. The Father is a spirit. The spirit is a spirit. They do not have bodily form, but Jesus does. So in Jesus Christ, we can see who and what God is like. The one who shows us exactly who God is. The image of God. The verse continues, the firstborn of every creature. 
the firstborn. He is the firstborn. Now, some people read this and they say, yeah, that's because when God created, he created Jesus first, and then he and Jesus created everything else. We need to understand something. The Bible was not written in American culture today. Right? What country was the Bible written in primarily? Israel. It's written from a Middle Eastern Jewish cultural mindset. When was this letter written approximately how many years ago? Yeah, 2000, closer to 1900 years ago. But, but you know, a long time ago. So it wasn't written in this culture in this day. It was written in that culture in that day. And in that culture in that day, firstborn did not always mean chronological birth order. Firstborn was a title. And so a father could have 14 sons and he could choose son number nine to be the firstborn. And firstborn was a title of position. Firstborn was the one who was preeminent in rank, preceding all others in time or degree. Jesus is the firstborn, the most exalted one, the one all of creation will someday bow before and worship. He is the firstborn. The image of God and the firstborn. In chapter, verse 16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or powers, all things were created by him and for him. He is the creator. Jesus Christ is the creator. So look at verse 16. For by him, or through him, were how many things created? All things. So in Genesis chapter 1, when God said, Let there be light, and there was light, whose voice was it that spoke? The voice of Jesus Christ. It was God the Son who became Jesus the Christ. God the Son, the Son of God, he spoke when he said, let the uh, grasses come forth. I wish he'd left Bermuda out of that mix, but he said, let the grasses come forth. And the grasses came forth. Let the birds, and the birds came forth. It was his voice who spoke creation into existence. Jesus Christ is not a created being. He is the creator of all things. By him or through him, all things were created that are in heaven. That means heaven where God lives. It also means heaven where the stars are and heaven where the birds fly. All things were created by him that are in heaven and that are in earth. All things created by him. He is the creator. Well, we, you know, uh, people get kind of sentimental about Jesus at Christmas time. And you hear even people talk about baby Jesus. Baby Jesus was his role for a very short time 
For all of eternity, he has been God the Son. When he came and was born in Bethlehem, for, for baby Jesus, there was from conception till he was no longer a baby, that was only a period of a couple of years, three years maybe. For all the rest of the 6,000 plus years of human history and for all time before human history and what will be after human history, he is God the Son. He is the image, the visible representation of God. He is the firstborn. He is the creator. But we should be in awe of him. Not just think, oh, what a cute little baby. You know, cute little baby doesn't last. I was even a cute little baby. It doesn't last. Verse 16 continues. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. And then he says, whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and, what's the next thing? For him. He is the designer. He's the design engineer for the universe. Now, if you go to a car maker, there's different roles that people play. There's the conceptual engineer who lays out the design flow of the bodywork of a car. There's the mechanical engineer who plans the mechanics of how it all functions and, and how it makes. And, and there, there's all these different experts. And then when you get to actually building the car, the guys who build the car had nothing to do with the design of the outside or the inside of the car. They're the builders. Jesus is both. He's the designer of the universe. It was designed by him and for him. And he is the creator. He's the one who thought it up. Creation was his idea. It's not just an accident. God didn't throw some stuff out in space. It exploded and woohoo, here we are. He designed creation. And then he brought it about. It was his idea in the first place. Now, there's some weird things about human bodies, aren't there? And sometimes I wonder, why did he design it this way? And you know what? He doesn't answer to me. And aren't you glad? We all, each of us, answer to him. When Job said, God, why have you done this in my life? God said, Job, let me tell you something. I'm in charge. You're not. Deal with it. That's a basic translation of most of the book of Job. God's in charge. He's the ruler. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? He said to Job. He's the one. He's the designer. He put everything in motion. And he didn't just design it and then gradually bring it about, Genesis records that he created it in a week. And some people say, how could you create all of this in a week? He's God. He could have done it in a nanosecond. He took a week to lay out the pattern and plan for human history. He is the designer, and he is the originator. He is before all things, verse 17 says. 
He is before all things. The originator. He's the first. So, in the beginning, in uh, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. The Lord Jesus Christ. That's all that existed. And He was first. And God was the only thing that existed. And that was hard for me to comprehend. What I, I was raised in church, but I wasn't a believer till high school. In the middle of high school, I got saved. Uh, but early on in my life, I read all kinds of books, and I was enamored with evolution. I loved dinosaurs, and I memorized all the eons and eras of supposed human history and development. And I, I loved to watch those scientific shows that showed cavemen and you know, it reminded me of one of my brothers. And, and I, I was just enamored with all of that stuff. And then I was at a church camp, and I only went to camp to get away from my dad. My dad said, I'll pay your way to camp if you'll go. He had never paid my way to camp. I had always had to pay it. That year, I didn't want to go. I stuck it for a week with a bunch of nerdy Christian kids. Why would I want to go there? Uh, and I decided I wasn't going to go. And he said he would pay my way and sent me to camp. He still says it's the best hundred bucks he ever spent because I got saved that week. But there was a speaker in the daytime, one of the morning speakers who was really dull. But he focused on evolution. And he focused on two things that really stuck into my head. What was the first thing? Evolution starts with a first thing. Now, the theory of evolution is being taught today is not the same theory of evolution that was taught when I was a kid. The theory has had to change because the scientific evidence has proved it wrong. So they've adapted the theory over and over and over. But it starts with something, space dust. Where did the space dust come from? We don't know. Where did God come from? We don't know. He just is. Evolutionists say it just was. It takes more faith to be an evolutionist than a creationist, by the way. God existed. Okay, so there's the first thing. Then what's the first cause? What made things change? And this guy stood up at camp and he said, what made things change? If it was just space dust, what made things change? And it dawned on me for the first time in my life that I had a belief system in evolution. It wasn't scientific. It wasn't something you could test and repeat in a scientific process. And only the Bible explained what first thing there was and why it changed. Because the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He changed things. He existed and only he, and then he changed and created a universe and explains it in the scripture. He is the designer, the creator, but he's also the originator before anything was God. And that's why when Abraham asked God's name, I'm sorry, when Moses asked God's name, God said, I am. And I'm sure Moses was waiting for a little bit more, you know. I am what? I am dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Okay. I am. Tell them the I am has sent me. What does I am mean? I am the one who has always existed and always will. I am. It's not that I was and am and will be. I am. 
through all of history, he is the I am, the one who is. God was the first thing. And God spoke creation into existence. But he was before everything. In fact, Revelation said he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He is the originator. He began everything. He is before all things. And it continues, verse 17. By him all things consist. So we would call him the sustainer. He's the one who holds things together. Imagine if, <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, my dad would harass us sometimes, like lots. Uh, and I can remember one day I was messing up, and he said, he pinned me down and grabbed my belly button. He said, boy, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to untie your belly button, and you're just going to go all over the floor. And I thought I would die if he untied my belly button, you know? And so he's grabbed my belly button. I'm screaming, no, 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 I'll be good, no. And he's trying to pull on my belly, and finally he relented and let me live. And I think it was when Jessica was born, I learned that really wouldn't work. But, but you know, when... when there's this terror. Imagine if God was not holding the universe in place. People live in fear of asteroids and meteorites. Hey, that's the least of your worries. All God has to do is suspend gravity and you float off into space. Or increase gravity and you go splat. God's in charge of everything. He holds the universe in place. The stars function because he allows them to. They burn out when he causes them to. God is the sustainer. In fact, the psalmist says, he's the one who gives you the ability to breathe. Right? Take, take an inhale. Ready? God gave that capacity. Now, for some of you, that's easier than for others. Some of you are going, where's my oxygen? But God gives us the capacity to breathe. And when we exhale that last breath, I've been in the presence of probably 50 people as they've died over the course of the years. And, and I've held the hands of several as they died. And when they exhale their last breath, you can just see their body kind of sags. It, it's like the soul and spirit are gone. And you know why it looks like that? Because that's exactly what happens. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, to be absent with the body is present with the Lord. When my mom exhaled that last time, she was with the Lord. When my brother did, he was with the Lord. Instantly, before we knew they were gone, they were already in with the Lord. He's the one who holds it all together. And if he weren't holding it together, you think there's chaos now. He's holding it together and he's holding back some of the chaos. Satan would love to destroy everything and everyone. He's a vicious, evil enemy. And God's holding it. Where Job, uh, Satan himself testified in Job chapter 1 and 2, I can't touch Job because you won't let me. 
God's the one who holds things. He's the sustainer. By him, all things consist. Have you ever made cookies? I, the first time I was making cookies with my mom, she's like, you got to mash it, mash it together. And I didn't. I thought, oh, a little squeeze. It looked good. Sat it on the tray. It got in the oven and pfft, her cookies looked great. Mine tasted okay. But they looked lousy. And God's the one who holds everything together. By him, all things consist, hold together. He is the sustainer. Verse 18 says, And he is the head of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. He is the head. Now, theoretically, I mean, when your body's functioning right, if your head tells your arm to move, what does your arm do? It moves. And I realize some people can have a, a mental barrier in their head. They can have, due to stroke or disease or uh, a birth defect of some sort, they can have where the brain doesn't function. And so their brain's telling their hand to stop it, but their hand keeps doing something, and their brain can't stop it. But for the average person, the brain is ruling over, and a decision in the brain affects the decision in the body. You don't say, you say, oh, I'm going to walk over there. You don't say, left foot up, left foot out, left foot down, right foot up, right foot out, right foot down. Well, I mean, if you're blonde, you might, but most people don't do that. So you, you just move. Why? Because the head is functioning. It's giving instructions. It's receiving feedback. It's moving. There's a flow. And Christ is the head of the church. It doesn't just mean he is the ultimate authority, which is absolutely true. He makes the rules. We submit and obey. He makes the rules for his church. We as a church in the past have had to do church discipline before. It's awkward, it's ugly, it's painful, but Jesus set the rules for his church. And if I stray from the Lord, the deacons of this church do not have the option. They must remove me. They must bring in a different pastor because Christ sets the rules for his church. But it's more than that. There's supposed to be an organic connection with Christ. He is the head, like the head of your body. What happens if we, say, take Tim Finch's head and remove it from his body? What happens? He dies. Why? The head has to be connected to the body. Not just ordering it around, not just, but connected to it. And we are supposed to be connected with Christ. Like, he uses other metaphor. He's the vine and we're the branches. There's supposed to be this flow from Jesus into us, from the head into the body. This flow where we're functioning the way he would like us to function. Every part of the church is under his authority and must submit to rules. He has preeminence. That means first in rank and influence and value and authority. He is the fullness. He's the one that makes it all complete. But it's not just that he's the authority. People are looking for happiness. Right? I mean, isn't, isn't that in the founding documents of our country? 
people have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. People pursue happiness. But apart from Jesus Christ, you will never find it. Until you realize he's the head and you submit and follow. You have no fullness apart from Christ. People seek fulfillment in drugs. They seek fulfillment in sex. They seek fulfillment in money. They seek fulfillment in adrenaline. We have a world filled with adrenaline junkies out there. You don't believe me? Watch some YouTube videos. I mean, I know Mark does uh, mountain bike riding, but some of the things those guys do, doing backflips over caverns, I mean, it's crazy stuff out there. I, I show them to my wife every now and then to prove to her there's nuttier people than me. But, but see, we're connected to the Father through Jesus Christ. He's the head. And the life flows from the head. See, if your heart stops, they can restart your heart. But when your brain stops, it's over. Life flows from the brain. It's controlled and it's connected. Even the heart functions through the structure of the brain. And you can still have a beating heart with no brainwave function. Medically, they declare you clinically dead. And we need to realize that we have no fulfillment, no satisfaction, no lasting joy apart from Christ. That's why way back, uh, I think it was, did you read from Hebrews 11? Or Meredith did? Meredith was reading from Hebrews 11. She was reading about Moses. And Moses made a decision in Egypt that he would not enjoy the pleasures of sin in Egypt. He chose rather to follow the Christ, the Messiah, walk with the Lord, because he esteemed the ultimate reward with the Lord was worth more than all the treasures of Egypt. And, and we need to do that today. There are Christians today who are being choked by the cares of this world. They're being drawn away from Christ because of money, because of pleasure. And they're turning away from Christ. And we need to submit to and connect with the head. He is the head of the church, of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. You want fullness in your life? Get close to Jesus. You try any other method of fullness, it's a dead-end street. Only Jesus provides the flow that brings joy into your life that will last beyond this life. He is the head. Verse 20, he also is the peacemaker, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Doesn't that sound kind of weird? Peace through blood. There's a song. When I was a kid, it just kind of thought it was a weird song. I like to sing it because blood never offended me, but... Have you, are you washed in the blood? I remember singing that song when I was a kid. And I thought, washed in the blood? Man, when I come home bloody, mom, make sure I wash it off. 
washed in the blood? Your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Did you ever get blood on your clothes? How spotless did they look after that? But the truth is, the blood of Christ washes away our sin when we believe and trust in him and ask him to be our savior and forgive us our sin. He does. And then we who were enemies with God, Paul and James wrote about how we had this enemy relationship with God. Like when I was a teenager and I was, I had to go to church because my parents made me, dad and I joke about the drug problem in our house. They drugged me to Sunday school and they drugged me to church and they drugged me out. Of, uh, and, and I didn't want to go. I had no interest in being there. I thought they were silly people. In fact, I was pretty certain I was way more intelligent than they were because they were sucked into that Christian thing and I knew better. I had no idea how right they were, how wrong I was. I was an enemy of God and I didn't even realize it. And then when we trust Christ as our Savior, we move from being an enemy to being family. I mean, this is better than a Hatfield marrying a McCoy. This is enemy of God is now family of God. And he brings peace. We had this, this uh, confrontational relation with the Father. And now we have peace with the Father through Jesus Christ. He is the peacemaker. He ended the hostility between fallen man and a righteous God. He bridged the gap. Uh, by saying, having made peace, it means that he brought an end to the hostilities. That we had a hostile relationship, and he brought an end to that through the blood of his cross. Then it continues, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether there be things in heaven and that are in earth. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. He is the reconciler. How did that happen? It's a work of God. He restored a damaged relationship. Mankind was in sin uh, since Adam and Eve. And the curse of sin had plagued every generation. And we were sinners by nature. You know, we have some pretty cute little kids in the nursery and in junior church, but there's proof of a sin nature right there. You don't believe in a sin nature, talk to Missy Martinez. She heads up the nursery, and she'll tell you, all those kids have a sin nature. No question. And we were also sinners by choice. So we had this innate sinfulness in us and then we chose to do wrong and we separated ourselves from God and Jesus came and he died on the cross and he brought us back to God. So that you and I actually have a closeness with the Father that's better than what Adam and Eve had in the garden. Because in the garden, Adam and Eve had the capacity to lose their relationship. And we don't. We are kept secure in Christ. In the garden, Adam and Eve were a creation of God. Now we are sons of God. In the garden, they were uh, created beings. Now we are his family. 
In the garden, they lived in pleasure and had fellowship with God when he came to walk with them in the cool of the day. Now he's building a place for us in heaven so we can live in his house forever. He is a reconciler. He took what was lost and broken and damaged and devalued and he made it whole. And he connected us back to God the way it should have been at the beginning and even better with a fullness that makes us complete. He is, he now hath reconciled. It's already a done deal. We have been reconciled already. We don't stand at the pearly gate and hope we make it in. When we stand, if, if we stand at the pearly gate, the Bible doesn't say that. It says, absent the body, present with the Lord. But if you are standing at the pearly gate, if that's how God chooses to make it work, and you're standing at the pearly gate to the heavenly city, and you're going to hear God the Father say, hey, you're mine, come on home. And you're going to walk right in and belong there because he has reconciled you. And then, verse 22, in the body of his flesh, through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. He, he is the transformer. I have a picture here of a caterpillar transforming into a butterfly. That's not as big as the transformation that you have enjoyed. You are not who you were. You have been changed. You were lost, now you're found. You were in darkness, now you're in light. You were a child of hell, now you're a child of the Father. Uh, he has taken you from the kingdom of darkness into, the, into his marvelous light. He has transformed. There are people in this room who, if you knew them the way they used to be, you would be uncomfortable sitting next to them. But because Christ changed them and transformed them, now you happily call them your brother or sister in Christ. Because he changes us. I got in a lot of trouble in junior high. And then in high school, mom made a rule that if I didn't make honor roll, I couldn't make be on the sports team. So I made honor roll. And... Uh, got to compete in cross-country track. And then I made the National Honor Society. And a, one of my junior high teachers had a son in my high school. And so he came when we were inducted into National Honor Society. And he came up to me and he said, you look kind of like the Terry Green I had in junior high, but you can't be the same kid. And I said, I'm not. I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and he changed my life. And this unsaved teacher said, he sure did. Because he could see the change. I had teachers in my high school asking me, what happened to you over the summer? And I'd tell them that I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and some of them would back away like I just caught an infectious disease. But several of them were really happy for me. And the change that began. We're not there yet. You have room for growth. He's still in the transforming process to make you more like Christ. 
and you can grow and you can mature and you can be changed. And sometimes we feel like we're stuck because we've struggled with this certain sin for years. We don't have to be stuck. In Christ, we can have deliverance and freedom because he is the creator and designer and originator and transformer and redeemer and the one who reconciled us. And it's already done. And he's in the process of growing and maturing us so that the father can be thrilled to see a reflection of his son in us. So that we look a little bit more like Jesus as we grow and mature in Christ. You see, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to fail God from time to time, but a child of God is going to come back and correct himself back to the standard of God's word, correct himself back to walking with Christ, to submission under the head, connection to the head. You are not who you were. You're not who you're going to be. But you're in the process of becoming more like Christ. Jesus Christ is. Well, he is the originator. And he is the center of everything that is good and right. Jesus Christ is. There are some churches who devalue Jesus. Treat him like a created being, like a high order angel. But we know the truth. It's all about Jesus. And what determines your life, your joy, your fullness, your satisfaction, and your future destiny is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know him as Savior? Have you asked him to forgive your sins? Are you walking with him, getting closer to him, maturing in that relationship that began that day you trusted Christ? He is everything. The center of everything that is good and right. And there's a song in her hymnal called, You Are My All in All. We're going to sing that. It's just two short verses. Maybe as we're singing that, you feel like you need to trust Christ as your Savior. You can come to the front. We can have people show you. They can take you to another room, show you from the scripture how you could trust Christ. He is the all in all. And if your life is not centered around Jesus Christ, then your life is not centered appropriately. It's like having a, having a wheel that's out of true. You're going to thump and thump and thump until you get Christ at the center. That's the only way life can go smoothly. Doesn't mean it'll be easy. Life on earth is difficult and painful as it was for Christ, so it is for us. But on the inside, there's a joy and a satisfaction that we are who we are because of Jesus Christ. We're going where we're going because of Jesus Christ. Because he is the fullness of the Godhead and the fullness of our lives as we walk with him. Won't you stand please as Jim leads us in You Are My All in All.